0: COPPA Complications YouTube Responds Hello and welcome to another episode of Virtual Legality. I'm your host Richard Hogue, managing member of the Hogue Law Business Law Firm of Northville, Michigan. And today we continue our YouTube Kappa excitement series based on a response that YouTube gave in a tweet last night to some of the things that we have talked about in this series. Now, One of the things that I have noticed from some of the comments that I've gotten to these videos is that not everybody watches all the videos, which makes a lot of sense. I talk for a long time. This is complicated stuff. And some of the videos may be more pertinent to you than others, but it does mean that some of the comments come at me with various specific opinions that say that I'm either a shill for YouTube or a shill for the law, or I love the FTC or I hate the FTC. Hey, If you're interested in my overall opinion on all this stuff, definitely check out the entirety of the playlist I created YouTube at large. But I think it's probably useful at the top of all these videos to just give a very brief primer of what the actual subject matter is going to be, as well as how COPPA kind of interfaces with what YouTube is and what the FTC is asking content creators to do. So in light of that, today's video is essentially about what we talked about yesterday in my video called, Not Just an FTC Problem, how YouTube's COPPA in action puts content creators at risk. And in that video, I talked about the fact that I had already talked about FTC enforcement actions being problematic for a whole set of reasons. Check out those videos if you're interested in that particular aspect. But yesterday's video was about the fact that YouTube itself had ways to comply with COPPA had mechanisms to offer to people to help them comply with COPPA because YouTube's not going to change its data collection policies. And it was choosing not to do that. And in so choosing was adding exposure risk, what we would call an exposure to liability in the legal profession to content creators that maybe didn't need to exist. And with some amount of specificity, that was in particular the notion that in order to comply with COPPA, it has nothing to do with labeling. It has everything to do with putting a notice on your website about what information you collect, in this case, persistent identifiers, getting parental consent if you're collecting those persistent identifiers, in this case, from channels that are identified as being directed towards children. And there are a whole panoply of problems with that definition, but notice and consent are the primary obligations. And YouTube could decide to do that at any time. It could decide to build that technological infrastructure to provide notice, to go get consent. It has chosen not to do so. And in choosing not to do so, it has put its content creators at risk. The other aspect of this was what is being referred to out there as mixed audience channels, mixed audience websites that aren't necessarily directed at children, but include some stuff for children and that might be determined to be directed for children and that age gates are specifically listed in the COPPA rule as a solution to that problem. That the FTC, when drafting these rules, actually contemplated what we are currently dealing with at YouTube as this primary issue of, hey, my stuff might be liked by kids, but I'm not making it for kids. I'm not aiming this channel at those that are 12 and under. What do I do? And that specific rule set I've highlighted here in blue and yellow Says, hey, a website or online service that is directed to children, but that does not target children as its primary audience, what we might call a mixed audience website or a general audience website, shall not be deemed directed towards children. It won't come under all the problems with this act if the website doesn't collect personal information prior to an age gate. And then if somebody self-identifies as 12 or under, it doesn't collect information. And it's a check the box type regulation. If you fall under this specific definition that you might be attractive to kids, but you're not directed, you're not targeting those kids, then this kind of passive box age gate where you click whether you're 12 or you click whether you're 13 plus will get you out of the ambit of this statute. I said, hey, that's a pretty easy technological solve. YouTube should be going down these steps to try to do these things for people. And unfortunately, as I said at the top of this video, I want to give the full primer just so people who are only watching this video have the full kind of geography of what's happening here. YouTube never even deigned to offer that. What they have instead said they are going to do is they're going to give you this box to check about whether your content is made for kids or not made for kids and said, hey, go get a lawyer to figure out which box you should check. And then they say, hey, in accordance with COPPA, serving personalized ads what we've also referred to in this series and what the ftc refers to as behavioral advertisement to child audiences is not permissible which is a flatly incorrect statement COPPA doesn't say what is or isn't permissible on this stuff it says go put notice on your website and go get permission everything else is allowed as long as you do those two things with some extra detail added in the rule and the act but they say hey it's not permissible because we're not going to change any of our aspects so Based on that, it's not going to be permissible for you to not say you're for kids if you are directed for kids. Hey, and we're also going to turn off all of your engagement metrics. We're going to turn off the ability to comment. We're going to turn off likes and dislikes. We're not going to have you show up in public lists, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And you need to consider your applicable legal obligations. In other words, this is a very dicey area. This is a very vague definition. It's difficult to comply. Lawyers probably aren't even going to be able to help you because the commission doesn't spend a lot of time interpreting what the definition of directed child content actually is. And so we're going to put that all on you because we don't know and we don't want to pay another $170 million. And don't listen to Rick's video because all those options, yeah, they sound good, but essentially we don't want to do them. So yesterday, pretty late at night, really late at night for an Eastern time zone audience in the United States, 9.20 p.m. YouTube responds to a a tweet from Creekcraft, who has also been following my stuff and has been retweeting my things, and I have every reason to believe that they probably watched my video from yesterday, said, hey, according to the FTC and actual lawyers, YouTube should be offering a mixed audience type instead of just for kids or not for kids. Why is YouTube not offering this? When it would save a bunch of creators their channels and jobs. If you have this neutral age gate, it basically saves everybody with a general audience, which is the vast majority of the people that I see panicked online and on the internet. Team YouTube actually responded. Says, hey, thanks for the feedback. Always nice. There are some complexities with the mixed audience category and we're submitting public comments to the FTC to help us create a better solution for creators, including mixed audience creators. You'll be able to read these public comments in two weeks. We've consistently advocated for creators throughout our FTC discussions, communicating the expected impact that the changes will have on the community, and we'll continue to do so as we work towards a better solution. In other words, hey, thanks, yeah, we understand there are people saying these things about the statute and about the rule. And yeah, the rule does appear to do that. But there are complexities. And we're not going to go into them because, hey, Twitter's not a great forum for that. I don't blame them for that. I've gotten into trouble trying to talk about small legal issues on Twitter. And if it's not a 30-tweet 30 th- 30 thread, it's, it's very difficult to communicate, especially with someone who disagrees with you strongly. And so I don't really deny YouTube the ability to say, Hey, we're not going to get into it on Twitter, but they definitely need to communicate more on this topic because if they are not working on something behind the scenes right now, which they should be, then that's a whole nother issue because there are these easy solutions. YouTube doesn't want to enact them because they don't want to upturn their business model, but overall they're upturning their business model even more than I think a good technological solution actually would. I actually framed this as follows. I said, and now YouTube has come out with a statement that basically says, we don't want to do mixed audience age gates due to complexities. What those complexities might be are up for debate. We shall see further in their comments to Kappa. And those complexities might be up for debate. This video is essentially gonna be some speculation as to the complexities that YouTube is facing. Because all we have right now is evidence that YouTube doesn't want to go forward with age gates doesn't really wanna do notice, doesn't really wanna do parental consent. Some of those are difficult. Some of those aren't really reflective of the internet era in 2019 and are reflective of a law that was written in the late 90s. And so I don't blame YouTube for that either. But at the end of the day, there's a couple of things to keep in mind here. YouTube is a business, right? We spend a lot of time in virtual legality talking about fiduciary duties, fiduciary responsibility, and defending some of these corporate acts by saying, hey, they have an obligation to go try to make these returns for their shareholders. They don't wanna jump in with both feet into bad situations. And so they have to take these kind of cautious actions. And that's fair. YouTube is doing that. I think everybody acknowledges that YouTube is after its protection for itself first and foremost, but it's important as part of that kind of understanding to understand that when they say they've communicated that this will be a problem for creators, At the end of the day, they are most concerned with making sure it's not a problem for themselves. And they can make mistakes. I think they've made a big mistake here with what they have done and that they have created these complexities for themselves. I'm going to go into that in this video. But they are trying to get to a place where they're maximally protected. And if they can also protect some content creators and get something that helps them, that's good for them overall because it helps their business. But it's not their primary goal. They don't want to lose their business, but they also don't want to expose themselves to another penalty, to another contentious fight with the Federal Trade Commission, to bad marketing, to bad public relations that everybody from senators to other various media outlets put out there and say, YouTube's a bad actor. They want to avoid that above all. But let's talk about some of these quote unquote complexities that I see, many of which YouTube effectively created for itself. So the primary one here is I want to talk to you about the stipulated order because this has come up a number of times. And the primary thing that YouTube has agreed to in this order that the Federal Trade Commission in the state of New York came against Google and YouTube for collecting these persistent identifiers and serving behavioral ads to kids without caring about whether or not they were kids. And they said, okay, here's what you have to do. You have to implement and maintain a system for channel owners to designate whether their content on the YouTube service is directed to children. You have to do that. You have to create your checkbox system. You were agreeing to do that by signing this consent order. That system has to include an obvious notice, what they use in legal parlance as clear and conspicuous, that your content that you make available on YouTube that is directed to children may be subject to the Children's Online Privacy Protection Rule, which is under COPPA, the act itself. And notice that there are some provisos there. It says, if you are directing it to children, it may be subject. They basically just say in all their notices, hey, it's all subject to COPPA, go find a lawyer. They also say, and that channel owners are obligated to designate such content as directed to children. If you have this directed to children, YouTube has to have this system with the checkboxes, has to put notice that it might be subject to COPPA and has to say, hey, you owners are obligated to designate such content as directed to children, which is all fine. But they conceded a certain amount of ground here, and it's one of the issues that has popped up. It is a complexity, and it's one of the reasons a lot of people are in my comments asking me about demonetization, asking me about, hey, if I only have this video site for friends and family, can that get me in trouble with the FTC if I've got pictures of my kids running around on the beach? And the answer to that overall should be no. And yes, I'm a lawyer. If you've ever talked to a lawyer, you get things like, should be because I cannot guess as to what the commissioners who aren't even going to be the same by the time they bring an action up against you or anybody else will decide is commercial or non-commercial. But what I can tell you is that in the actual law, this is the law that gives the FTC authority under their COPPA rule. It mandates that an operator is only an operator where such website or online service is operated for commercial purposes. So if you're demonetized, If you're not selling a good or service through your videos, if you're not otherwise some way able to be said as commercial, shouldn't apply to you. Going further, the actual definition of a website or online service directed to children requires commerciality. The term means a commercial website, that portion of a commercial website or online service that is targeted to children. Now you might say, Rick, okay, I'm on YouTube, the whole YouTube. YouTube is obviously commercial. They make millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars by selling advertisements, by giving this access, by doing all this other stuff. Am I not part of a commercial enterprise? And yes, broadly you are. But if that is the definition they want to use, that the website itself, YouTube, is commercial, then YouTube is the one responsible for the data collection. What the FTC is trying to do here is parse very closely that you are the operator of its own independent website, that that slash Hoag Law is on its own in the universe of websites and happens to hire as a service provider, as a domain provider, YouTube for the data collection services that it can provide. So you can't separate that definition. You can't run it both ways. Now they could, right? You get the right judge. You get the right angry FTC commissioner. These things can happen. I can't make guarantees. No lawyer that you would hire that is worth their hourly rate would tell you that they can make guarantees on this type of stuff. But it does mean that that commerciality should have been part of the Federal Trade Commission stipulated order. As you can see here, it doesn't reference commercial content creators, commercial channel owners at all. It says failing to develop, implement, and maintain a system for channel owners to designate whether their content on the YouTube service is directed to children. It doesn't reference that commerciality here, which means that YouTube has done what it has chosen to do, which is put that notice up for everybody and make everybody scared out of their minds. Continuing further, the actual definitions put forth in the stipulated order could have cleared this up as well. Channel owner here, which is what we're talking about as the defined term, you can tell from the capitalized letters, means individuals or entities who upload videos onto the YouTube service. This 100% should have been limited to people that upload videos for a commercial purpose on the YouTube service because COPPA, the law, exists under a commercial infrastructure. Congress was able to pass the law by virtue of their constitutional authority to regulate interstate commerce. It's what we call a commercial hook in the law. And so it can't apply to things that aren't commercial. That's, that's why it's there. Otherwise, the legislature would love to not have it say commercial. It doesn't like to limit its authority in this way. So there could have been fixes. YouTube didn't deign to do it because YouTube overall is focused on protecting itself. And that's fine. That's what it should be doing as a corporation. But when it says statements like it said last night at 9.20 p.m. on the East Coast, you have to take that with a grain of salt because yes, they would love to have you also come under their umbrella. They don't want to hurt you. You make them money. But if they have to throw you to the wild to protect themselves, they will. They'll just try to do it in a fashion that doesn't hurt them maximally. And so you've got this situation where they say, okay, you watch these videos from these lawyers and they tell you this stuff. But here's what we've promised to do. We've promised to give this notice to everybody. And when you start to change that, we can't change this order. We have to do this now. There are years and years and years of compliance obligations and reporting. that are at the bottom end of this order that I don't go into because it's not important to the subject matter of this video but they have to follow essentially the exact wording of this. And the FTC is not going to be of a mind to amend this, to change it, to reflect what is the reality of the situation because YouTube already agreed to this and perhaps they shouldn't have. That's one of the complexities. Now, I want to take a brief sidebar here. You saw it in the parenthetical at the top of this video. One of the reasons virtual legality exists is to help clear up misconceptions that I see online. I got into this COPPA stuff because primarily I was seeing a lot of panic and I thought I could help illuminate or educate or inform or whatever else you might want to call it, people that were really, really frightened. And I think they should be concerned about how the FTC is rattling its saber, but I wanted to at least explain the lay of the land. So one of these things that was popping up in my comments and in my DMs and elsewhere was that, hey, YouTube is violating its order right now. Because they promised to the Federal Trade Commission that they would train us on how to comply with COPPA. And I'm sorry to say, one of the things I want to get out there right now is that they never agreed to do that. And you can understand why. We're going to read the language in just a second. You can see it on your screen. But you can understand why. We are talking about millions and millions of channels, potentially millions of content creators. YouTube can't actually really logistically provide any type of reasonable training on COPPA to all these content creators. It might be able to make another video or maybe even a PowerPoint slide presentation or something along those lines, but it can't functionally do it in a realistic way. And the FTC is not going to care about what amounts to superficial training. And as we already talked about, nobody, not lawyers, not the Federal Trade Commission, depending on what day of the week it is, could tell you what directed to children means under their current definition, the paragraph that they have in their rule. So this says something separate from that. It says, you are enjoined from, you have to do this. You have to provide annual training regarding complying with the Children's Online Privacy Protection Rule. And I think that's where people stop. So YouTube agreed to provide annual training to somebody, but it's always important to finish the sentence. They have to provide annual training for each person, capital P, that's individuals, responsible for managing defendants, that's YouTube and Google's, relationship with channel owners on the YouTube service. Said another way, YouTube has a bunch of its own employees. You are agreeing, you are agreeing to the FTC that you will provide annual training to your own employees that have owner facing customer content creation facing roles. So those people that you might call, if you are wondering a question about YouTube, your customer service representatives, you will provide training to them as to how to deal with COPPA questions. And whether or not that training is successful as anybody's guess, as we've already talked about in now a fairly lengthy series of videos, it's a very difficult thing. And there aren't very good answers. So chances are the training is talk to a lawyer because that's the least exposed position that YouTube could take. And it's understandable. YouTube can't provide all this training to everybody else, but they didn't even try to agree to the FTC that they would help out their content creators. All they agreed to was saying, We'll train our own people as to how to talk to people that call us. And I'm very sorry to kind of burst that bubble. I know there are a lot of people that are out there saying, hey, YouTube's violating it because they're not training us. They never agreed to train you. They agreed to train their own people on how to talk to you about what this stuff is. And you shouldn't expect any specific training from YouTube in the future. But that's all kind of a side point to the fact that we are still talking about these complexities. We're still talking about what the issue is here. And the next issue, one of the other main complexities here, which I saw identified in a couple of areas, but not entirely accurately, is this notion of what YouTube got caught for, right? So the FTC in 2013 tried to establish that content creators, because they were the people actually making this content, should perhaps be the most liable, they use phrases called strict liability, meaning it doesn't matter whether you knew something was wrong. It doesn't matter what your mental intent was. You're going to be strictly liable if this thing happens. In essence, if you collect data from kids on your child directed channel. So the entire complaint, I've pulled up the revised complaint here. This is before the stipulated order goes forward and says, Hey, you had all these correspondences with these channels that actually told you they were going to be directed at kids. They say, despite marketing YouTube as the favorite website for kids 2 to 12, which they did, defendants asserted on other occasions in email exchanges that channels on the platform did not need to comply with COPPA. For example, in response to one advertising company's questions regarding advertising on YouTube, as it relates to a toy company in COPPA, defendant Google's employee responded, we don't have users that are below 13 on YouTube and platform site is general audience. So there is no channel content that is child created and no COPPA compliance is needed which broadly is somewhat accurate. You can understand how the employee got trained to say that as the answer because YouTube on the whole, the entire universe of all the channels and all the content creators clearly isn't child-directed, right? I think the vast majority of it is probably general audience-directed, but there's also adult stuff, and as the FTC points out, there's also kids' stuff. And so YouTube was basically taking a position says, hey, we're this giant big thing. We're general audience. We don't have actual knowledge of collecting anything from kids. And so we can tell you, you don't need to worry about COPPA. The FTC found that to be wrong because it wants to attach to content creators. It wants to explode it all upwards. And YouTube finally said, okay. But part of this question was the FTC coming to the realization as part of the YouTube investigation that, hey, By making it an actual knowledge standard in 2013, didn't we actually incentivize all these platform creators to hide their head in the sand? Because ultimately in conversations with YouTube, here's what they said. They said, hey, look, you can't come after us because we don't have actual physical knowledge that we collected things from child channels. The FTC was able to say, "Okay, look at these emails where you tell Hasbro or you tell whoever that it's fine to have this child content. You had actual knowledge. But they looked at this and said, what if we can't prove that? What if Google, Two comes out and says, we're never talking to you. We don't want any emails. We don't want to know what you're doing because the only way we can get exposure, the only way we can get a liability is actual knowledge, which is a very, very difficult standard to meet. And so when they were proposing comments to COPPA, which I think have been misinterpreted in a couple of ways, they actually went forward and said, hey, we're thinking about changing COPPA. Can you tell us how you feel about the following? Additionally, the commission seeks comment On whether there are circumstances in which general audience platforms with third-party child-directed content should be able to rebut the presumption that all users interacting with that content are children. You go, wow, Rick, that's a fun sentence. Can you decode that for me? And I can. It says here, hey, since when you have actual knowledge of a child-directed channel, you get into all this trouble. Don't you actually, as a corporation, have an incentive to not ask? A kind of don't ask, don't tell on child-directed content. And isn't that overall a problem for the purpose, the thrust of what we are trying to protect with COPPA, which is we don't want you to be facilitating the collection of data from children. And the way we have isolated that is by collecting data from users of what we are calling child-directed channels. And if you don't care, if you don't ask the question, if you avoid some of the trip mines that YouTube found itself in with its internal marketing, with its email exchanges with the Hasbros of the world, if you avoid all those, can't you actually avoid all of Kappa, if you're YouTube too or if you're the next service that provides this? And they think, obviously, since they're asking the question, they think the answer to that is yes. And so they go forward and say, okay, we don't want people to hide their head in the sand. So ultimately, what we actually have to do is we have to ease back on some of this so that you can have a rebuttable presumption on actual knowledge can we come up with a system that says hey if you put something in place like the kids checkbox system you don't have to worry as much about liability and so this is what youtube is looking at right now and question 25 here is no small thing on the comments and if you're interested in any of this please do leave your own comments for the ftc this is still an open comment period i think for another couple weeks that's why youtube referenced it in its tweet last night But here's what they actually say in this question. They say, hey, in some circumstances, operators of general audience platforms do not have COPPA liability for their collection of personal information from users of child-directed content absent the platform's actual knowledge that the content is directed to children. So again, you get to hide your head in the sand. Operators of such platforms therefore may have an incentive. They do have an incentive. I'll shorten that for you. To avoid gaining actual knowledge of the presence of child-directed content on their platform. Isn't that a bad thing? obviously the FTC thinks so, to encourage such platforms to take steps to identify and police child-directed content uploaded by others should the commission make modifications to the COPPA rule. For example, should such platforms that identify and police child-directed content be able to rebut the presumption that all users of the child-directed third-party content are children, thereby allowing the platform to treat under and over age 13 users differently? Given that most users of a general audience platform are adults, most people on YouTube are adults, goes the premise, there may be a greater likelihood that adults are viewing or interacting with child-directed content on these child-directed sites. In other words, if you're already on YouTube, you're watching Virtual Legality, and for whatever reason, a Hasbro ad pops up or a Hasbro channel that talks about their new dollhouse pops up it might be that you find yourself looking at that video because you're looking for Christmas presents or because you're otherwise interested that because you were an adult interacting with this site you wind up on what is a child directed site by virtue of the FTC's own definition and should we be allowing the YouTubes of the world to say hey when I have that persistent identifier from that person that watched virtual legality I have reason to believe that person isn't actually a child that's going over and checking out the dollhouse they're probably a parent And so they say, okay, we want want YouTube to collect this information. We want them to have this knowledge. We don't want them to get in trouble for it. Can we come up with a system that allows them to do this? Can they rebut the presumption that everybody that visits a child-directed site is actually a child? Now look at one of the things that they've proposed here, because this stops being a question. This actually starts being something that they've clearly internally workshopped and considered. They say, hey, could a general audience platform hosting third-party child-directed content effectively rebut the presumption by doing the following? Taking measures reasonably calculated to identify the child-directed content, get those check boxes in place, ask people to fill them out, permitting users that identify themselves through a neutral age gate to create an account on the platform. Hey, okay, you get to have an account. There can be kitty accounts. There can be less than 13-year-old accounts, but you identify yourself as less than 13 years old. And then you ensure that if you collect information from a user accessing child-directed content, the user is a person who created an account that identified themselves as being 13 or older. That You essentially have this bifurcated technological system that says, hey, if you age gate into less than 13, we don't hit the button for persistent identifiers. We don't hit the button for this other stuff. And then you also provide the clear and conspicuous notice that is otherwise required on COPPA about the information that you're collecting and how this whole system works. You put that somewhere on your website. Should that be allowed? And if you're YouTube, you look at this, you look at this concept and say, yeah, that's probably better. It's probably better to not have to hide our heads in the sand, pretend we don't know what we do know, and hope the Federal Trade Commission doesn't come after us, and to have what we might describe in the law as a safe harbor. If you comply with these specific things, even if someone's lying to you on the account, even if you've got these other issues, in reality, if you comply with these safe harbor provisions, you can avoid this exposure for liability. So when YouTube says there are complexities with just putting the neutral age gate on there that is currently in COPPA, one of the complexities is they don't want to upturn the apple cart on this train of thought. They don't want to have to start doing things off to the side that the Federal Trade Commission could look askance at and decide that they either already have the protection that they need or that they need to change what might be proposed in question 25. Now, I think that's pretty short-sighted. I disagree with that. But when we're talking about complexities, you're trying to get into the mindscape of a business corporation, here's one of those things. We are acting right now in a variable area of the law that is currently being considered for change. There is a change that is being considered that could greatly help us limit our exposure liability, and if we do certain things out here in the real world, that is going to impact the chances of that rule going forward in a way we would like, perhaps positively, you don't know these things but also perhaps negatively. So if you are risk averse and all corporations at some level are risk averse, you don't wanna upturn the apple cart. These are the complexities that YouTube is looking at. In some respects right now, and I've heard people kind of conspiracy theorize about this in my comments and in social media, In some respects right now, YouTube wants it to look like this is an impossible burden that is unfair to its content creators, that it can't actually comply with fully, that is unfair to those creators because it wants those 7,000 comments. It wants that petition filed with the FTC. It wants to leverage its audience base, these content creators against the Federal Trade Commission in a capacity that it wasn't able to do when it was under NDA and closed door discussions with the Federal Trade Commission. Part and parcel of that, is not helping the content creators be totally comfortable right now. And I've had conversations with this online. This is one of those things where people come after me at the video and say, hey, you are making too light of the situation when you say the FTC has a weak case or when you talk about these various issues with the claims that either YouTube or the FTC would make against people and that people shouldn't be running with their heads cut off and screaming to the high heavens because this is a threat. I'll tell you right now, it is a threat. And the Federal Trade Commission is, in my opinion, acting outside its bounds, but that doesn't mean it can't threaten people. But in virtual legality, and my general philosophy on these things is to help educate. I don't want people running around with their heads cut off solely because it feels fun to do or because they are being told misinformation online. I want them to understand the threat and to be targeted at what is an actual problem. Because when you throw a bunch of stuff at the wall, chances are people can easily miss what is the important stuff. And I want people to get angry and upset and frustrated and frightened to some extent about what is actually happening and the important stuff. The other aspect of this is, of course, nothing here actually talks about content creators, right? This is about protecting YouTube. And to some extent, content creators and YouTube are at loggerheads on this point. They want that protection. I called it a betrayal yesterday that YouTube wasn't enacting some of these things that could make content creators' lives easier. And I do think they have incentives. These are the complexities they are looking at to try to make it look as bad as possible so that the Federal Trade Commission does some bending for them. But it doesn't mean, question 25 in particular, that that helps content creators. And ultimately, content creators have to go forward, have to explain, have to advocate to the FTC that this relationship that they think that they have with YouTube does not exist. Content creators do not have control over the data collection policies of Google and YouTube. YouTube can change its terms of service and any privacy policy at any time, and YouTube content creators are stuck. That's one of the reasons I've highlighted a video that I saw last night from a gentleman that I really like, Folding Ideas. I highly recommend you check out his site. He's got a lot of good thoughts, especially on narrative uh, in video games and movie and television. Uh, But his video yesterday, which did his research, which talks about a lot of good stuff, Got some things fundamentally wrong i think and i think they're primarily motivated by kind of political philosophy or just general moral or ethical philosophy and i don't begrudge him that but i think when we talk about law you have to separate those things a little bit and what i'm talking about mainly and i do recommend checking out this video because i think it's interesting what i'm talking about mainly is one of the things he advocates for is that content creators should be deemed operators of their website because it's important for the law to have a burden on content creators to not do bad things. And I am sympathetic to the fact that there are people that abuse YouTube, that there are companies that abuse YouTube, that do bad things, that put bad things in people's hands, and that YouTube should do something about that. That is distinct from what the law says and from what the rule says. And I think it's important to make those distinctions. This is a law school type thing. But ultimately, what is right or wrong is not always legal or illegal. And the opposite is also true. So while you might be able to make a good case that there should be a law, there should be a rule that does something to these people about whatever it is that is your particular bugaboo, about putting obscenities in the hands of children, whatever it might be, this law, this act does not do that. There is no reasonable case to be made that a content creator has operational authority over its small little slash website on YouTube. That YouTube has that operational authority in its entirety. And you don't want to cede that ground if you are a content creator. You don't want to just say, hey, YouTube did all these bad things. The FTC is doing all these bad things. This settlement was bunk. YouTube shouldn't have settled in this fashion. Every little bit of that is true. But you don't want to stop there and say, and thus content creators should hold some portion of the burden. Content creators cannot control the data collection policies of YouTube. And COPPA is a data collection policies rule. So the overall thrust, the pressure should be FTC, stop frightening everyone. And it should also be YouTube, just do some steps to comply minimally with COPPA. And maybe we will see that happen after the comment period is over. For the current COPPA consideration maybe we will see that happen after YouTube can see the handwriting on the wall either way that the FTC is going to help it out or the FTC is going to harm it but at the end of the day YouTube should be doing things for its content creators and every bit of pressure that is put on YouTube to say hey you've got these things you could do and you are not choosing to do them in my opinion is completely valid, completely acceptable, and something that should not be dismissed solely because you don't like bad actors and you think bad actors on YouTube are doing bad things. By all means, go advocate a law for that. Let's have that conversation, but don't try to twist a given act from 1998 Don't try to twist given rules from 2013 or the current rule consideration process to get at bad act things because that's not how the law does work and it's certainly not how the law should work. That's been Virtual Legality for today. This whole week has been COPPA and YouTube fun. So if you like this video, please like it. Please subscribe to it. Tell your friends. I really do like folding ideas. So if you're checking this out, folding ideas, I like your stuff. I just disagree with some of the premises and some of the opinions that you put forth in your COPPA video last night. I'm happy to have that conversation if you would like to have it. Otherwise, if you caught this on YouTube, thank you so much for watching. And if you listen to it in its podcast form, thank you so much for listening. And I will catch you on the very next episode of Virtual Legality. Virtual Legality is a YouTube video series with audio podcast versions presented as commentary and for education and entertainment purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. If you have legal questions about the topics discussed,